This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. How many of you have heard the phrase being invited to the cookout? I come from a tradition where uh, whenever people uh, are invited or whenever someone invites you to uh, a backyard barbecue or some kind of event that we do outdoors, it's, it's a big deal to be invited to the cookout, right? It's a big deal to be invited to this kind of jubilant uh, time of folks uh, embracing and celebrating each other or celebrating a moment over really good food, normally uh, barbecued, some form of meat and any other type of uh, appetizer that comes together and everybody's excited and all this stuff is like super, super fun, super great, a lot of family, close friends. And when you're, uh, it's, a, it's a special invitation when you get invited to the cookout. Most often, uh, you're invited to the cookout because you know the host, you are loved by the host, you are for the host, and you're for what the host is for. And so to, 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 to be for what the host is for is what it means to be invited to the cookout. That's how they determine if you're invited to the cookout. So if you're not for them, and you're not for what they're for, we say, you're not invited to the cookout. And you'll hear people say that specifically, again, in the tradition I come from, people will, will look and go, okay, are they for what we're for? They're not invited to the cookout. Are they for what we're for? They're invited to the cookout. Our text today uh, really kind of gives that picture. What it means to be invited to the cookout. What does it mean for Jesus to invite us to the cookout? What does it mean to be for him? What does it mean to be for what he is for? Where we find ourselves as we end this book of John, we've been in this for several months. As we come to the close of this gospel, we're seeing uh, how Jesus ends his ministry, according to John. We're seeing that he ends this ministry inviting his disciples and by virtue inviting us to his cookout. He's inviting us to this incredible embrace of who he is, this embrace of what it means to love him, this embrace of those who also love him. So when we're reading through this, really start seeing how Jesus identifies who gets invited, but then also what are the responsibilities of those invitees to his cookout? Many times when we're at a cookout, uh, you get there and your whole job is to eat. That's where this becomes a little different. Most people, when they go to a cookout, there's no other responsibility, maybe to help clean up depending on the family, right? But, but ultimately, when you're invited to the cookout, you're, you're there to just be served and to be loved and to enjoy and then leave. Jesus changes the game here, too. So I want to challenge us. If we might, we, maybe some of us can get to a point where we're going, I'm so thankful that I'm invited to the cookout. That's awesome. I'm invited. Jesus invited me in. I have a seat at the table. That's amazing. But now the question is, what are the responsibilities of those who are called to the table? What are the responsibilities of those who are invited to the cookout? So let's read uh, John chapter 21. We're going to read the whole chapter and we're going to spend time focusing on those specific things, being invited to the cookout. What are the responsibilities of the invitees? What does that mean for us? John chapter 21, I'm going to start at verse 1. 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Well, we're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Uh, shepherd my sheep, he told him. I'm sorry, feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Well, shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Remember that? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to re remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't tell him that he would not die. But if I want to remain until I come, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is such an interesting way to end this gospel, right? We have different stories and different uh, aspects of Jesus's life that the other three gospel authors highlight uh, towards the end of his life. And John highlights this. I think it's really interesting that this story is the one he uses to close out this chapter of Jesus's ministry.
First, when we look at the top, look at the state in which the disciples have found themselves. They've already seen Jesus twice. They know that he's now alive. They know that he's risen from the dead. But you got to remember, let's just try to humanize them a little bit more. We, we try to say often, don't look at these characters in the Bible as just Bible characters. These are real people who think and feel and function the same way that we would think, feel and function. So here they are. They've already seen just incredible things. They've seen heartbreaking things. They've uh, seen the person that they have followed and learned from and been loved by well. They've seen him die. They've seen him be bludgeoned. They've seen him gruesomely and brutally murdered. And then they've seen him rise from the dead. Shocked. Never seen anything like that. And they've spent some time with them already. They've spoken to him. Some of them have put their fingers into his very wounds. So this incredible event has occurred, but now what? Now what? They still have a life to live, don't they? They still have to find a way to subsist. They've got to find a way to be able to live. They've got to find a way to provide. Peter has a wife. We know, can you just imagine like what his conversations with his wife must have been? Just like, Peter, okay, that's great. Jesus is alive. That's amazing. That's awesome. But we still got to eat, boo-boo. Like, you can imagine just his wife kind of just sitting there saying, that's cool. Your ministry is great. But we love to say this, but your family's your first ministry, right? All those things. So all that pressure is there. They got to eat. They need money. Not only that. They're also kind of on the run. They're also really afraid of what's going to happen. What reprisals are they certain to face as they continue to engage in this Roman occupied nation? Right. So so life still goes on. It's important to remember that because sometimes, depending on our church tradition or depending on the way we view our walk with Jesus, we often are waiting for that big crazy moment, that big revelatory moment. And we think the moment alone will sustain us. And what this is showing is that these, even the most miraculous of events are never enough to sustain. There's got to be something else that we're holding on to. So they're kind of grasping. What do we do? What's next? How long do we have Jesus for? How long is he going to be with us? It's only been a little while. We don't know what it's going to be for him to be gone again. We just don't know what's coming. So after all of this happens, now we see Jesus revealing himself to them again. So clearly he didn't just stay with them the whole time. What he was doing, we don't know. But he's been there on the earth now for a little while. And, and he showed himself to, to the disciples twice already. And now you have this third and final time. And he showed himself, he revealed himself, and here's how. So John's telling us, here's how he revealed himself. All of a sudden, Simon Peter and these disciples that are there, several unnamed disciples, uh, are there just kind of figuring out what's next. And you can almost get the feel of Peter always being kind of like the, the one that, that, that would just kind of be impulsive and just kind of act, feel then act, right? When I was in the military, we go to, to uh, rifle training, you would learn really quickly. And those who've ever uh, used firearms, you know this, right? Uh, if you're gonna uh, do a good job of hitting the target, they are three basic commands, ready, aim, fire. Peter is a ready, fire, aim guy. Peter is a guy that goes, okay, I just gotta, I just gotta let off a couple rounds and then hopefully it'll just hit the target as I'm looking to acquire the target. That's Peter. And so Peter is kind of, it almost, you get this feeling of, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else is going on. I've got to go back to something that is familiar. I've got to go back to something that I have some knowledge on. 
I got to go back to something that, that I've done before. And, and it's not for bad reasons, right? You need to eat. Maybe you can sell the fish. <clears throat> Maybe you can use that stuff. But also, let's just, let's just be honest. Let's be real. We understand that when we have uncertainty, when we are not sure what's coming, it's very common for us to just go back to what's familiar. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just ultimately not going to be the most sustaining thing. And so Peter goes back. I'm going fishing. That's it. I, I got I to get my, it's almost like I got to clear my mind. I got to go to something that I know. Nothing bad, nothing wrong there. And the disciples are like, all right, well, we're coming with you. Peter's kind of this leader of this kind of group of merry gentlemen, if you will. So they're kind of going out and say, okay, Peter, all right, we're following you. We're going, let's go. So they go fishing. <clears throat> and as they're going, they're working, they're doing, listen, many of these men, this is what they were doing when Jesus found them, right? This is how he found them. He found them as fishermen. And so they're going back to what they know as fishermen. So they're fishing. They know how to fish. They've been fishing a long time. And yet now, for some reason, they can't catch anything. They're waiting. They can't catch anything. It's not a matter of a lack of competency. They've, they're very competent. They've done this for quite some time. They probably did this to, to make money on the side as they were doing this, right? Just to, just to make it. <clears throat> they definitely did this just to be able to have food as they were traveling with Jesus. But for some reason now, going back to what is familiar isn't working. There's something about this. When you have come to know Jesus, when you've come to, to truly be changed by Jesus, when you've come to rely on Jesus as your ultimate rock, what you used to do no longer sustains you because you realize that what you used to do was never sustaining you. And so they go back to doing what they thought they knew and they realize it doesn't work the same anymore. Now that I know Jesus, I realize I can't do anything apart from him. So here they are fishing and they're fishing for a really long time. And then daybreak comes and Jesus is standing on the shore and they don't recognize him. There Jesus is on the shore and he uh, says to him, and I love the way it's worded here because you can almost see Jesus not tr trying to embarrass them, but almost trying to point out the area of their own deficiency, right? Lovingly point out, hey, you're relying on something that actually uh, goes beyond or is really short, falls short of what you should be relying on. And so look at how he works. He sees them and he says, friends, you don't have any fish, do you? He's, he's asking a question. We've always said this. Jesus doesn't ask us questions because he's trying to acquire information, because he's trying to ascertain the truth. Jesus knows the truth. He asks you questions so that you can see those truths. So he asks this question, you don't have any fish, do you? which is a big question to fishermen. Y'all know how to fish and you don't have fish. Everything you know to do isn't working, is it? This is something we should be feeling pointed to us. The things that you keep going back to, how is that working for you? That's what Jesus is saying. How are those same habits that you would trust in in the past to try to hold you up? How is that working for you right now? Jesus says this to them and they, they just look up and go, no. We, we haven't caught anything, stranger. Thanks for asking. And then he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Now, here's something to get here. 
there wasn't anything uniquely different, right? These are fishermen. It's not like everybody knows if you put it on the right side of the fish, uh, right side of the ship, you get more fish. This wasn't some kind of conventional thing. These were not uh, uh, novice kind of new rookie fishermen. They knew the deal. They knew how it goes. It, it seemed just like, okay, well, he's telling us to put it on the right. Why not? You see, what Jesus is showing them is this has nothing, you, no matter how much training, how much study you've had, the thing, anything you do outside of relaying on Jesus just will never be enough. And so he tells them, here, try this. And it's not because the technique, sometimes we get caught up in the technique. The technique is never what brings blessing, right? The technique is never the thing that pleases God. The obedience, the love is what actually pleases God. Walking in reliance on him is what pleases God. Sometimes we get caught up in a lot of churches. We can get caught up in looking at the method in which people did things and go, our job is to recreate the method in which they did it. No, that's not it. Our job is to recreate the obedience and the reliance and the loving, uh, the loving ways in which they engage each other. That's our job. And so here you've got these, these folks going, okay, fine. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do what you said. Throw it over on the other side. And they have so many fish, they can't even haul it in. And so immediately when this happens, uh, it's interesting, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, kind of pointing to himself, he likes to do that. He goes, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And we always joke because it almost seems like there might be some kind of running thing between John and Peter. Because John loves to point out, by the way, I was the one that told Peter because his, his ignorant self didn't really know it was, uh, it, that it was Jesus, but I did. And so he tells them, by the way, this is, this is Jesus. And what does Simon Peter do? It's interesting because there's a, there's a juxtaposition between what happens here and what had happened previously when, P, when Peter's out on the boat fishing and sees Jesus. And Jesus tells him to come out, to the, come out on the water to him. Remember that? Here you're seeing Peter full of faith and expectancy when before it was just nothing but trepidation and fear. But now he's on the ship and once he finds out it's Jesus there, immediately runs out to go see him. You're seeing a change happening, right? Because when you are truly, even before we get to the cookout, when you're invited to the cookout with Jesus, faith and boldness starts to settle in. And so now he's, he's looking and he goes, I'm, I'm taking off, I'm going after him. That's Jesus. And, and the scripture says, he plunged into the sea. And then the other disciples came in the boat, right? So it's interesting, they were only, what did it say? They were really about 100 yards away. But Peter is like jumping in the water, swimming, just racing. He's going all Michael Phelps on him. Just like, I'm going. Y'all stay in the boat. I'm going to Jesus. And there is something there about obedience that looks like that, right? Sometimes we have to carefully bring things over, right? And that's what the disciples were doing. And sometimes we have to cast all, just reckless abandon, cast care to the wind and go straight to Jesus. For some of us, we got to figure out where we are there. Some of us, it's time to cut bait and go directly to him. Sometimes there are careful things we have to do in the process but we need to go directly to him. And so Peter's racing off, he's swimming off to him. They all get there, they get on the land. They, and then when they get there, they see Jesus with a charcoal fire there. He's got some bread there, but they need the fish. Jesus already knew, cause he's, he's God. He already knew what was gonna happen. It's like, I'm going, Jesus is the one that provides the fish, but he's the one that empowers them to go get the fish. He provides them. He empowers them to go catch them. And so he, they get to the, uh, they get on land and they bring some of the fish. He says, bring some of the fish you just caught. 
Bring them, bring them down. We see that in, in verse 10. Bring them here. Simon Peter went, climbed up, took the whole full and full, the, the, the net full of 150, what is it, 153 fish. And there were so many, surprisingly, the net wasn't torn because this is one of those things where Jesus says he won't lose not one that are his, right? So here he is, got all of these fish that in most cases, if it were us and just our efforts, we would lose some of the fish. Human error, right? Margin of error, it's normal. With Jesus, there is no margin of error. If you're his, you are his. If he has you, he never lets you go. If he has you, he holds you tight. So he say he brings the fish there and they all come. He says, come, have breakfast. And it's interesting, the disciples know. They, they don't even ask, wait, who are you? They know who he is. This idea of Jesus providing, this idea of Jesus giving wisdom and teaching, very familiar. They're like, oh, it's the whole him teaching us, showing us our own deficiency, but then providing and filling up what's lacking in us. Oh, that's Jesus. That's totally Jesus. And now here it is that they remind us this is the third time that he had appeared to the disciples. Now, this is where it goes now. So he invites them to this cookout. He's got a grill going. He's like, hey, y'all brought the meat. Great. Bring all the meat over. I'm going to prepare this meal for you. It's very reminiscent of what we saw at the Last Supper. It's very reminiscent of Jesus, again, giving parting words. They may not even know it's parting words yet, but he does. He gives his final command to them here around a meal, which is such a beautiful picture. Most times the ways that Jesus shows his people the way that he loves them and the ways in which he expects them to love is at a communal table. It's, it's a lot. When you sit at a table, you share, there's, there's a sense of a, a shared trust that happens, right? There's a, a way in which we kind of get to the table and we kind of agree on what we're going to talk about and we exchange ideas and we trust each other in the midst of this conversation. And Jesus is having this meal with them, providing breakfast for them. People always listen better with full stomachs. I've, I've learned that. And so they're sitting there. They've had breakfast was in verse 15. They've eaten breakfast. And then Jesus asks this question, a question that he's asking you, a question that he's asking me. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, he's asked this question before. We've seen it before. And Simon kind of makes this promise. I would never leave you and I love you and I would never do these things. And Jesus is really in many ways trying to show Peter. He's teaching again. He's not asking a question because he doesn't know. He's asking the question so that Peter can actually take uh, inventory of himself. And also Peter can be prepared for what's coming. Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, let's just stop on feed my lambs for a minute, because this is where the cookout analogy starts to break down. Because for us, when we go to a cookout, we're being fed. That's it. We're, we're there to enjoy. We're there to be served. We're there to be fed. And so if we stop there, then it just becomes nothing but a, a, a consumer experience. I'm here to get. I'm here to take. You're here to give. You're here to provide. It's a great give and take, really. You give, I take. But, but this is where the, the cookout changes because what Jesus is saying is, yes, you're invited to my cookout. Yes, you, I love you. And I'm going to show you what it means to love me. And here's what it means to love me. Be for what the host is for. Love doing what I love doing. 
You know what I'm doing? I'm feeding you because you have need. If you love me, do what I do. Feed those who have need. Feed the lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed the flock. You see, what, he, what he's really getting at is it's not just enough to say, hey, I've been fed. I'm so thankful to God. The way people know that you're thankful, the way that people know that you love him is, is, is shown by the ways in which you love others, shown in the ways in which you feed others. So what do people need, both materially and spiritually? That's what he, Jesus is leaving these parting words to Peter. Your job, all of your job is to feed those who need feeding. And oftentimes we look at this as a call to evangelism. And it's definitely not less than that, right? People need to be fed the truth about who God is. We all need to be fed the truth about a loving God who has sent his son to buy us back because of this sinful condition that we have that estranges us from him. We need that desperately. We all need that. Not, not for just some artificial, artificial reason. We need that because our greatest problems in this life is because our estrangement from God means that we are forever estranged from each other. We don't have good community together. We don't have good relationship with each other. We are self-serving and we tear each other down, even with a smile on our face, even with a bless your heart on our lips. We tear each other down. We don't love, we don't seek each other. We don't care for each other. Even on our best efforts, we need something to change. We need to be invited to a cookout that changes how we we cook. And so when he says to Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs, what he's saying is, I don't feed you to just be fed. I feed you in order for you to feed. That's why we're fed, so that we can feed. Not so, not, not so we can be full and go, great, I'm great. I just got more to eat. I got more to consume. Then he goes and he says, he, he asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love me, that, that I love you. With shepherd my sheep, he told him. A very similar principle again. Because it's not enough even to just feed and give people what they need. People need to be led. And it's not just led in this kind of iron fist, I'm the boss, you're the employee. It's more of, I want to help guide you into the ways of God's heart that we are all prone to drift from. And Peter knows that because he's been a drifter. There's probably nobody better than Peter to lead other people away from faithlessness, away from doubt, away from just acting without aiming first, right? Peter is that guy. And so he's looking, he's going, if you love me, it's not enough. We said this many times. It's not enough to just declare your love for me. You need to demonstrate. Demonstration is always louder than declaration. So I don't want to hear in many ways. It's like it's not enough to just go. I just let me just tell you everything that God has done for me. And he's done so much. That's great. Praise reports. That's what we call them in church. Testimony service. Those are vitally important. We need them. Right. But that's not where loving God ends. What, what it looks like to love God is, I've been fed, so now I want to feed people. I have been led into places of safety. I've been led into ways in which I can pursue God's heart, and I want to help lead others to do the same. Uh, and in pursuing God's heart, that means I've also been led into places where I can identify where the kingdom of God is not present. 
And I want to mourn that and work hard to undo those areas where his kingdom is not present. That's what it means to feed and that's what it means to lead. So it's not enough to just go, I'm determined to follow Jesus, right? That's good. I am determined to follow Jesus. Why am I following him? How am I following him? How do I show that I'm following him? I show in the, by the ways in which I'm leading others into following him, following his heart, being for what the host is for. Then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I made this joke earlier. It seems like Jesus is kind of in his, what people call his Drake feelings. He's asking the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says to him, do you love me? Peter is grieved now. And you can understand this, right? Because Peter knows what he's getting at. Peter's like, why, why do you keep asking me this? If somebody keeps, think about this. If you're in a relationship with someone and, and they, you know, you have a history of maybe not showing up or not being faithful or not being true or being a little shifty. And they're like, hey, did you, did you deposit that money? Yes, yes, I did. Did you deposit that money? Yes, I did. Okay, I'm asking you one more time. Did you deposit this money? Why are you asking me that question? It's like you're doubting whether or not I deposited the money. Well, that's really Jesus is asking. He's not doing this even just to punish him. He's trying to teach him a lesson here. He's, he's redefining the way we have understood love. We've understood love to be something that is primarily received. And Jesus is saying love is primarily demonstrated. And so, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, well, I'm going to show you love is not just an emotion. We see this. We hear this all the time. Love is not a noun. Love is a verb. Jesus has always demonstrated love in verb form. He's always communicated love in verb form. John gave it to us in 316. We love to quote it all the time. For God so loved the world that he what? That he felt? That he thought? No, that he gave. Real love gives far more than it ever receives. Real love provides far more than it ever takes. Real love feeds more than it does fill itself. Real love leads far more than just looking to be led. This is all what it means to actually follow Jesus. So Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm redefining everything you thought it meant to love because I've seen what your love looks like and it needs help. What it's going to look like for you to love me is going to be really basically to follow me. Follow me in the way that you feed people. Follow me in the way that you lead people. And he finally says this third time, do you love me? Peter's grieved and he asked him, uh, when, he, when he asked him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. We love to say that. We say that probably in our own relationships. You know that I love you. Why? Because usually what we say when we try to convince somebody we love them is we try to use words to demonstrate uh, the, the totality of our emotions, right? We try to convey to them, right, this, the amount, the degree to which our emotions has just gotten so high to this level where it's almost boiling over. If you just knew how I felt, if you just felt what I felt, if you knew how much my heart would just be broken if I didn't have you, all those things are really sweet. But what Jesus is saying is you need to show me and I'm going to show you how you show me. You don't show me by just declaring all the things you feel. <clears throat> you don't show me by just using all the flowery languages, uh, language and, and using as many verbs and adjectives and adverbs to describe how you feel about me. I'm going to show you something different. You're going to show me how you love me. And it's not always going to feel the way you want it to feel. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. These are very much similar in the same thing. 
He says, truly, I tell you, this is when he's going to really break it down. When you were younger, you would tie your belt. You'd walk where you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. In other words, Peter, to love me is going to mean to follow me. You know, the whole feeding thing, you're going to be feeding people a message or showing in the ways that you pursue justice. You're going to be doing things that are actually going to be offensive to those who don't follow me. To, to love and care for people, to share a spiritual, deeply spiritual message about who God is that people disagree with, that's going to cause you problems. To care about the material kind of corporeal, uh, corporeal needs of people in the community, to care about justice when the community doesn't, that's going to cause you problems. It's going to cause believers problems. But in order to follow me, those are the things you need to do when it's not popular, when it's not state sanctioned, when it's not approved by the masses. You're going to have to do these things in order to follow me. And guess what? It's going to cost you your life. See, this is a different kind of cookout. How many of us would go to a cookout where the host says, I got some ribs, I got some cornbread, I got some greens, I got some mac and cheese, I got, all, I got some mashed potatoes and gravy, I got all these things ready for you, and I've provided it for you, and I'll even teach you how to make it yourself. But just know that when you go to make these same things, and when you go to care about people the way I've done for you, it's probably going to mean the end of your life, or it's probably going to mean a very difficult life but you still need to follow the recipe, but you still need to serve and love the way that I've served and loved you. That's what it's gonna mean to love me. In other words, loving me is not about your convenience. Loving me is about your obedience. And loving me is about your being overwhelmed by the way in which you've been loved. And so now he's telling Peter, he's giving him this kind of warning. He's like, Peter, I know that you're kind of been impetuous. I know that you've been the one that's kind of just kind of drawn, just jumped from the hip and done things as you feel them. I know that's been you, but I'm letting you know now in order for you to love me, you're going to have to care for others. You're going to have to think about others before you think about yourself. You're going to have to feed them. You're going to have to shepherd them. You're going to have to lead them to the degree that it will cost you your life. So the scripture says he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Think about that. Follow me, you're going to die. Follow me. That, that's not a great cookout talk. Most of us would leave after that. I also think it's interesting, too, that this is a, cha- this is a part of the chapter where we often will look uh, and, and look at this as an evangelism chapter. Okay, this means go out and share the gospel. Go out and share the gospel. But it's interesting because he doesn't just say just share the gospel. It's feeding and leading my sheep. So, so this is more than just let me say the right things, almost like a, uh, some type of a, a, a pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing scheme, which is how church can often feel. Hey, if I, uh, if I share this with you and you believe it and you hop on and you tell two people and you hop on and you tell two people and they hop on and great, now we've got numbers. Truly loving is not about the numbers. It's not about how many people I've been able to go, because you know what that does? That, that makes church into a recruitment strategy. That makes Christianity a recruitment strategy. That makes the gospel a recruitment strategy. The gospel isn't about recruitment, right? The gospel is about what it means to holistically love people. Numbers don't even matter in that, in that equation. How do I holistically love people? I don't want this goal of the gospel to be rooted in recruiting. And people feel that. The moment your version of love feels like recruitment, people want out. It's part of the reason why people are very sour 
on the church. We love to go, people are just anti-Jesus and it's the horrible people who have such a liberal view of God that changes everything. It has nothing to do with that. It has it's very little to do with that. It has more to do with the horrible example that we as the church have set in loving, leading, feeding. That's the reason why. What did Jesus say? With my love and kindness have I drawn thee. He didn't say, with my judgment and condemn condemnation have I drawn thee. But that's actually where we're prone to go. So here, Jesus is not giving a recruitment strategy. He's giving a strategy for holistic and sacrificial love. The very sacrificial love Jesus displayed, he calls you and he calls me into. Then he corrects us some gossip that happens quickly right afterwards. So Peter turned around. Listen to what Peter does here. Because Peter does what Peter does. He's, he acts, he's in his feelings, he's in his emotions, and he acts right out of emotion first. Not that emotion is bad. God has emotion, but our emotion needs to be tied to the facts, and we act accordingly. Peter hears that, turns around, sees the disciple that Jesus loved, because apparently they have a little bit of beef, and he sees John, and he looks at John, and he goes, he goes, Lord, uh, and he's talking about the one, remember, the, this is how we know it's John, because it's describing who John was at that Last Supper experience, right? When he's leaning back and asking who was going to be the one that betrayed. And he goes to, Peter looks at him and he says, Jesus, well, what about him? You're giving me bad news. <laughs> You're giving me news that I'm going to be the one that's actually going to die doing this, following you. What about the one that you love? Because immediately what happens is when we find out that our love is going to cost something, we can easily go, well, is, is my love costing the same as someone else because we're making it about us? And we're not really making it about what brings God glory? And so he's looking and he goes, well, what about him? And Jesus says something that is very typical for Jesus. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. My walk with Jesus really has nothing to do directly with how your walk with Jesus will look. My job and your job, our job, is to help point each other to the heart of Jesus. And what that looks like is gonna be different for us. What it looks like to follow is gonna be different for us. And here, Peter is like, well, I wanna love you. I love the idea of loving you, but the cost seems so great and I don't want to feel like it costs me more than someone else. I think all of it, different ways, we felt this before, right? You've seen things that's happened in your life and you're like, Lord, why do I have to go through this? Those folks didn't have to go through this. Why do I have to bear the brunt of this really heavy brokenness? Why do I have to deal with this hurt, this pain? Why do I have to deal with some of these tribulations that may be because of those stand that I take? Why do I have to deal with this when other people don't seem to have to? And Jesus is really pointing out something that I think John is trying to show us. Your life is not primarily about you. It matters. It matters to God. That's why he loves you. That's why he picked you out. That's why he uh, re reconciled you to himself. But again, he didn't feed you so you can feel fed. He fed you so that you can go feed because your life is not primarily about you. It's not less than you, but it's so much more than you. And so John gives us this, you know, really quick. He's, you know, somehow a rumor started going around that Jesus said that John, because he's the one that he loves, is going to live forever. There was a rumor going around in ancient, uh, in, in ancient uh, Christianity, early Christianity, where people thought John was going to live forever. John was going to live until Jesus returned. And we do know John is the longest living of all the disciples. 
So Jesus clearly wanted him to live longer, and we see why. Because A, he corrects this false report, and he gives us this very, very deep, very specific story uh, about who Jesus was. He shows us some aspects of who Jesus is. That's why at the very end he says, John kind of introduces, reintroduces himself. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. That's actually the term. That's how we know this whole time John's been pointing to himself when he says the disciple that Jesus loved. He says, and by the way, it's one of those like the end of the movies where it's like, and I was that man. <laughs> and that's John. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Listen, the, John started with this and he said, I wrote these things down so that you would believe. And what he's showing is that belief for the sake of belief isn't even enough, right? A belief that changes, a belief that transforms, that's the heart of the one who loves Jesus. And that is the heart of the one who loves like Jesus. We are not called into this relationship with God just for like self-betterment. We're not called into this relationship with God just for the sake of self-improvement. We're called into this relationship with God so that we can actually love one another far greater. We can actually lead one another far greater. And in so doing, we show, we demonstrate our love for Jesus far greater than we could ever declare. Because really the one who declares is him. It's Jesus's word. It's the word of God that declares his love over us. And we respond. Yes, we declare and we praise. But more, more than anything else, we demonstrate. We've been invited to his cookout so that we become better cooks. We've been invited to his cookout so that we learn how to feed. So that's the question. What does it mean for you to be invited to Jesus's cookout? What does it mean? What is it? How does it empower you to say, now that I've been invited here, I want to be for what the host is for. I'm going to show that I love the host so much that I'm for what the host is for. Many times at the cookouts where I grew up, I just came across a picture of um, me being held by my grandmother. I just saw this two days ago. I don't remember ever seeing this picture. And in the picture, my grandmother was a caterer and she would spend time cooking for the church. We went to this very large church in Detroit and she ran the kitchen and she ended up having a catering company. When there would be weddings, she would cater those weddings. Funerals, she would cater uh, the, the reception afterward. She, she would make cakes and pies and amazing times. And I remember she then would have these big cookouts for the holidays. And as we go into the holiday season, it always brings back memories uh, for the times that I would spend as a little kid just walking to my grandmother's kitchen I've always been greedy. If y'all know, I've always been greedy. And so I'm always walking in, just the smells of all these wonderful foods wafting through the house and almost like the cartoons, I'm just kind of drifting in, floating on these smells, these, these, these incredible, this incredible aroma. And so I'd walk in and I would just see all the work that she would be putting in for this, for this cookout, for this, for this time of celebration. And, and I remember there, all, there were other people my, some of my family members that would be in the kitchen with her. They had learned, they had been fed by her before. They had been blessed by her before. And they loved the effort that she gave. They loved the work that she did. They were so overcome by her love and her devotion that they were like, I want to be what you're for and I want to help you do this too. And so then it ended up being as certain people, certain family members would get older, they would be in the kitchen. 
and they will be helping and she will be giving direction and, and uh, they will be helping bring all the desserts out, bringing all the food out. And then other people would step up and go, okay, I'm going to help clean because I'm for what you're for. It's not just this, yes, sometimes it's guilt. Hey, I, you know, this is my penance. This is, I have to pay for what I have. But a lot of times what maturity looks like is you're doing this work and I know this work is heavy and I know this work takes many hands. I'm going to step in. I want to help learn how to cook so I can help you cook. I'm going to learn how to clean so I can help clean this up. Why am I doing this? Because I want this to be able to continue. And I want this to be able to continue to grow. And I want others to be able to spread this. And after my, mom, my, my grandmother uh, passed away, eventually my aunt ended up taking over the business and has this uh, bakery now where she makes cakes for weddings and all these different uh, events, kind of demonstrating and, and emulating that same love again. She was one that was fed in order to feed this is what it looks like. So for us, family, friends, as a church, we have to constantly say, Lord, make me one that is fed by you so that I can feed like you. Make me one that is led by you so that I can lead by you. Not for my glory, but for yours. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for demonstrating real love for us. Thank you for both declaring your love for us, demonstrating your love for us, and then empowering us to demonstrate that same love toward you and toward all of those image bearers, all of us who bear your image, every human being on the planet, past, present, and future. And so God, we don't know where people are. We don't know where people's hearts are. But Lord, we know that the primary way that you show your love to your image bearers is through your people, is through your church, it's through the ways in which we love, through the ways in which we lead, through the ways in which we feed. So God, make us people who are well-fed so that we are great at feeding. Make us people that are well-led so that we are great at leading. Not in a way that is manipulative, not in a way that is overbearing, not in a way that is abusive, but in a way that is encouraging, in a way that builds up, in a way that protects, in a way that advocates. And we do this not so that we can say, look how great we are, but we do this to say, look how great God is. Look how great of a cook God is. Look how great of a leader God is. We want to be able to spread your kingdom Build your church the way you promised to build it and do this in a way that says only God could do this. This is a love that only God could declare. This is a love that only God could demonstrate. And we're just invited to the cookout. Thank you now in Jesus name. Amen. Now let's receive this benediction. I love this benediction. It comes from Jude. Think about how the host handles and loves those who are invited to his kickout. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. It is to the only wise God, our savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of those who've been invited to the cookout said, amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavens.
Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.